Well, good morning. I'm glad that you are here today. This is the last message in the series, I Am Weak, But He Is Strong. And the idea behind the series is simply that the weakness of man reveals the strength of God. Haven't you found that true in your life? Those times when you're at your weakest, and you've turned to God and found the strength you didn't have? So that's what we've been looking at in this series. Just kind of review where we've been. In the very first week, we talked about jar, we've got this treasure in jars of clay. Paul says, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 4, he says, we, we have this treasure, speaking of Jesus, we, we have this treasure in jars of clay. And we learned in that message that, that we are not very strong, but the one who lives in us is. Then the second week, we talked about problems, that problems are part of life. Life comes at you fast. And it's easy in those times to give up. But it's in those difficult seasons that God often does His greatest work in our lives. Then in the third week, we talked about this earthly tent that we live in. This earthly tent that we live in is one day going to be taken down and we're going to move to our heavenly home. We'll vacate this tent and go to our heavenly home. And we talked about that in week three. Now, if you missed any of those messages or if you fall asleep during today's message... Uh, you can go to MountAreaBaptist.com and watch all of them, okay? They're always there, and so I know some of you are up late watching a ball game, so if you fall asleep today, just go back to MountAreaBaptist.com and you can watch those messages. Now, let me tell you where we're going tomorrow before I tell you what we're doing today. <clears throat> Not tomorrow, uh, next Sunday. I didn't sleep much either. <laughs> Different reason. And I will be wearing a garnet shirt tonight, but that's all I'm going to say about that. So, anyway, let me tell you where we're going next Sunday. Next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about the election. Won't that be fun? I'm telling you, I'm, you know, just save your emails till after the sermon. Would you do that for me? At least do that much. Uh, here's what we're going to I've never seen in my lifetime, I've never seen so many people frustrated, worried, angry, uncertain about our country and about our leaders and about a presidential election. It's like anything I've ever seen in my lifetime, but I believe God's Word has something to say about that. And so we're going to look at that next Sunday. It'd be a great Sunday for you to invite somebody to church. When you're just going through the week and somebody's talking about the election and they're angry or they're worried or they're frustrated or whatever, uh, just that's a great invitation. Just let that be a reminder. That's a great invitation when they start talking about the election. Hey, our pastor's going to preach on that Sunday. Why don't you come with me? All right, so you, you go ahead and invite somebody. And uh, they may never want to come back after next Sunday, but you invite them. <laughs> you invite them. And uh, I believe God has something to say to us. Um. Uh, I don't know who first coined the phrase, living with the end in mind. But that phrase is, is a very good summary of what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, sometimes it is called living life backwards. Kind of like that, living life backwards. The idea is that we decide what we want at the end of our lives to be like. We decide ahead of time what we want the end of our lives to be like. And that shapes how we live life now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us that we should live life backwards. He tells us that we should live with the end in mind. And we've been doing a, an exposition 
uh, through 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Today we come to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Just one verse today. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. Here's what Paul says. I'll tell you what, let's start at verse 6, just for context. Therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. That's part of the text we had the Sunday before last, the third message in this series uh, and, and then this verse is the one I want to focus on, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I want you to read this together out loud with me. I want you to read verse 10. If you have the NIV translation, this one verse, verse 10, let's read it together. Here we go. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Would you notice this phrase, things done while in the body? Paul says that though our bodies are wasting away, 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 9, Though our bodies are are wasting away, we are responsible for our actions while in the body. While we live in this tent, we are responsible for what we do with this tent. You see, one day you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll give an account of how you lived your life. One day you will stand before Jesus as a believer, as a Christian, you will stand before Jesus And He's going to make you give an account of how you lived your life. And by the way, listen church, aren't you glad He tells us this in advance? And I I remember in school and in college, I never did like pop quizzes or pop tests. I want you to tell me in advance that they're coming. I want to prepare for these things in advance. I I want to be able to know what's coming in advance. And so I'm so thankful, so grateful that the Lord Jesus has told us in the text, listen, there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day when you're going to have to give an account. Everything done while in the body, you're accountable for. And there will be a day when you'll stand before the Lord Jesus and give an account for it. So let me talk to you today about the judgment seat of Christ because it is something that awaits every Christian. But before we get ready for it, we need to make sure we understand it. So I'm going to encourage you to take lots of notes today. Uh, I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture. Some of it we'll read. Some of it you'll just have to write down. I want to start by giving you a summary statement. Just, just a summary statement of what the judgment seat of Christ is. And then we'll build on the summary statement. The judgment seat of Christ is that future event when God's people will stand before the Savior as their works are judged and rewarded. Now let me give you that again. The judgment seat of Christ is that future event when God's people will stand before their Savior as their works are judged and rewarded. We'll give you one more time, except I'm going to ask you to underline some words as you, after you've written it down. The judgment seat of Christ is that future event when God's people, underline that in the definition, God's people will stand before the Savior 
as their works, underline that, are judged and rewarded, underline that. Now, let me give you two clarifying points here before we get into the heart of the message. I want to make sure that that statement is clear. First of all, this judgment that I'm talking about in this definition, this summary, this judgment that we will all face, this judgment is universal. Look in chapter 5, verse 10. For we must, what's that next word? We must what? All. It's universal. Every Christian. Now, Paul, when he says, for we must all appear, the we there are our fellow Christians. He was writing to the Christians there in the church of Corinth. And so this is a judgment, and Paul says, listen, I'm not just going to be standing before Christ at the day of judgment, and just not some of you. Paul says we will all do this. Every Christian will one day appear before the throne of Christ and give an account of how they live their lives. And that's the reason Paul wrote about this at so many different places in Scripture. For example, Ephesians 4.1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Because there's a day out there. There's a day coming when you'll give an account of what you've done in the body. So he says in, in Ephesians 4.1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the Lord. That's why he said in Philippians 1.27, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there, there's a day out there. There's a time coming when you'll stand and give an account. So live a life worthy uh, of the gospel. He says in Colossians 1.10, And we pray this in order that, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. Live a life worthy of the Lord because there's a day out there on God's calendar, that you're facing the day when you will stand before your Savior. And so this judgment is universal. It's for all of us. Number two, just again, clarifying statements, this judgment is also unavoidable. Paul uses an interesting word in verse 10. He says, for we must all appear. The word must has the idea that this is something you will not be able to get out of. This is something you will not be able to avoid. We must. It is divine compulsion. We must all appear. You see, some Christians live their lives as if they don't have to give an account for how they lived their life, what they did or failed to do. Uh, some, some Christians have the idea, you know, as long as I got my ticket punched, as long as I'm going to heaven, that's the main thing. Right? I mean, every every. I mean, that's the reason you pray that prayer, right? Because you want to go to heaven. That's the reason you ask Jesus into your heart. You want to go to heaven. And so as long as you feel good about that, he's like, I got my ticket to heaven. I'm okay there. And, and, and you feel like, man, I've, I settled that a long time ago. And then so, so I've got this settled. Now I'm going to go live life any way I want to. I, I'm just going to, you know, whatever I want to get involved in, whoever I want to be involved with, whatever it is I want to do, uh, it really doesn't matter because I got my ticket to heaven. And Paul said, you don't understand. You don't understand. There is coming a day when everything that you do in the body you will one day give an account of as a blood-bought child of God. For you were bought with a price, the Bible says. Therefore, honor God in your body. So, we are accountable for our actions. Now, folks, this is not just an isolated teaching in one little verse. 
This is the teaching all through Scripture. Let me show you one, one other example. Go to Romans chapter 14, verse 7 through 12. Write that down in your notes. Romans 14, verse 7 through 12. Paul says in verse 7, For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. In other words, it's not just about you. Verse 8, If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to who? To the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that He might be Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will, listen to this, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, he refers to Scripture, as surely as I live, says the, says the Lord, Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. And look at verse 12. This ought to be underlined in your Bible. So then, each of us, not just all, but he wants to make it more individual, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us will give an account to God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we are accountable for our actions. Even, watch, listen to this, even those that nobody else knows about. So today, I hope you will listen closely and take a lot of notes because the judgment seat of Christ is in your future if you are a Christian. It might be a time for you and to me to start living with the end in mind. So, I want to answer two major questions today. As we look at this topic, I want to answer for you, all of that was preliminary, all that was introduction. I want to answer two major questions for you today. Here's the first one. What is the judgment seat of Christ? And number two, what will happen there? What is the judgment seat of Christ and what will happen there? So let's start with the first question. What is the judgment seat of Christ? Well, the word judgment seat in the Greek, in the Greek language is the word bema, B-M-B-E-M-A. The bema was a raised platform in the center of Greek towns uh, where announcements were made. It was a raised platform, usually in the center of town. Announcements were made there. Uh, legal decisions were handed out there by rulers. And rewards were handed out there at times. Recognitions and rewards, like for an Olympic athlete. This was the bema. This was the place where decisions were made. It was a place where things were examined. It was a place where honors were given. It was a place where someone sat to rule and make decisions. For example, in Matthew 27, 19, it says that Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat. Pilate was sitting on the bema. He was sitting on the judge's seat. It says in Acts 18, 12, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment, the bema. The, t the Jews wanted to attack Paul and they, they brought him to that place of judgment. They, look up here. They brought him to that raised platform where the judgment would be pronounced. Paul says there is a bema in heaven as well. Every person, saved or unsaved, is going to face the judgment of God one day. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to be at the same event. 
make sure you write this down. There, there's two different judgments in the Bible. Christians will appear before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, which is what we're talking about today. Christians will appear before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. Unbelievers, those who are not Christians, will stand before Jesus at the great white throne judgment. We won't have time to get into that, but you can read Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. The great white throne judgment is that time, that place, when every unbeliever will face their sin and experience the judgment of God. Now, make sure you get the phrase, unbeliever. Unbeliever. You see, that's going to be the time when the Christians face or the non-Christians face their sin. Because of the death of Jesus on the cross, though, i got good news for you. Because of the death of Jesus on the cross, you will never... Are you listening? Because of the death of Jesus on the cross, you will never have to face your sin. You will never have to be judged for your sin. See, the great white throne judgment is where unbelievers have to face their sin, give an account for their sin, and then be judged and punished for their sin. That's a great white throne judgment. You, you won't be there, not if you know Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is where Christians come. The judgment seat of Christ is where Christians are brought before Jesus. But we're never going to have to answer for our sin because, here's the reason, the Bible says, God made Him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Maybe I'll explain it to you this way. There are two issues that will never be brought up at the judgment seat of Christ. You know what they are? Number one is salvation. And here's what I mean by that. At the judgment seat of Christ, it will not be a question of whether or not you're saved. The issue at the judgment seat of Christ will not be examining you to determine if you're saved or not. You determine that here. You determine that now. The judgment seat of Christ is not about salvation. It's not about did you make it or didn't you make it. Uh, it that, that is forever settled at the moment of your conversion. Ladies and gentlemen, when you are saved, you are saved forever. When you're saved, that issue is settled. So it's not going to be about salvation. And it's, listen, it's not even going to be about sin. Judgment seat of Christ is not going to be about sin. Jesus paid the price for your sin already. Jesus experienced the judgment for your sin already. Your sin has been forgiven already. And so when you come to the judgment seat of Christ, it will not be about sin. Let me show you one reference. You need to write this one down. It is so good. John 5, verse 24. John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. Has, present tense, you got it right now. Has eternal life. It's not going to be taken away from you. You're not going to lose it. Has eternal life and will not be condemned. And then he, he goes on to explain that he's passed over from death to life. Uh, Romans 8.1, 8, Romans 8, just write it down. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So we won't have to give an account of our sins, but listen, church, we won't have to give an account of our sins, but we will have to give an account of what we did with our lives once we were saved. Does that make sense? 
I'm not going to have to stand before Christ and give an account of my sin. I will stand before Jesus one day and I will give an account of what I did with my life that he died for. What I did with my life that he made possible. What I did with my life as a Christian. So, that's the first question. What is the judgment seat of Christ? It's the judgment time when you stand before Christ as a Christian and you are accountable for what you did with your life. Number two, what will happen at the judgment seat of Christ? It's interesting, as Paul unveils it for us, he says, first of all, the judgment seat of Christ will be a place of revelation. It'll be a place of revelation. Look in chapter, uh, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Look at verse 10 again. I want you to note a word, circle it, underline it, highlight it, whatever you can. I'll, I'll show you where the word is. For we must all appear. Would you mark that word appear in some fashion? The word appear in the Greek language means to be revealed. It means to make clear. It means, listen to this, to make visible. To make visible. Imagine a curtain being pulled back and exposing what's behind the curtain. That's essentially what's going to happen to every believer. The Lord Jesus will pull the curtain back and expose what's behind the curtain. You see, you can fool your pastor, you can fool your spouse, you can fool your co-workers, you can fool your classmates, you can fool your church members, but you can't fool God. God sees it all, God hears it all, God knows it all, and nothing is hidden from Him. Now, I want to show you this in Scripture. Go to Proverbs 15.3. Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are... What's that next word? Everywhere. Isn't that interesting? The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Now, Pastor, I know you've been trained, and, and you know, in the Hebrew language, what does that word everywhere mean? You know what it means? It means everywhere. It means you cannot go anywhere without God seeing and without God knowing. You can't do anything without God seeing, without God knowing. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Now, don't get the wrong idea, though. The judgment seat of Christ is not about God punishing you. The judgment seat of Christ is about God rewarding you. We'll see that in just a moment. But let me give you another scripture. Uh, you've got Proverbs 15, 3, hopefully down. Go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 13, Hebrews 4, 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Remember, because the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. That is a terrifying verse, isn't it? Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of the one to whom we will give an account. 
You see, when we stand before Jesus, all pretense will be taken away. Come on, y'all be honest with me. Have you ever, 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 have you ever tried to act like something you're not? Sure you have. I have too. And you probably fooled some people too, didn't you? Absolutely. They didn't know. They, they don't know your life. They don't know what's in your heart. They don't, you, you know, you, I bet you've done this. Everybody would agree with this. Somebody asks you, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And you smile. I'm fine. I'm fine. And inside, you're dying. In fact, inside, you're past dying. But, but you're just acting like you're fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that's wrong or anything like that. I'm just trying to say, we've all done that, right? We've all pretended. We've all tried to conceal what's inside. We've all tried to conceal things. When we stand before Jesus, all pretense will be taken away and we will finally be seen for what we really are. The Bible says in that verse we just read in Hebrews 4.13, everything will be laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we will give an account. Everything will be uncovered. Everything will, will be laid bare before Him. So the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a place of revealing, a place of revelation. You say, okay... If he's going to see everything and he knows everything and all that kind of thing, then what's going to keep him from punishing me? Because Jesus has already experienced that punishment. Jesus has already experienced that pain. Jesus died in your place for your sin. So why is he going to lay it bare? Why is he going to uncover it? Why is he going to pull the curtain back and kind of reveal it all? Because secondly... The judgment seat of Christ not only be a place of revealing, it will be a place of reward. He tells us in chapter, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one, look at this, this is so interesting. Each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. He said, the judgment seat of Christ is a place where you receive what you're due. Jesus will reveal whether your works are good or bad. Now, put this in the notes or in the column of your Bible. That word bad there, it has the idea of worthless. Jesus will examine your life to see what's good and what's worthless. Jesus will examine what you've done with your life to see if it's good or if it's worthless. The same thing is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go with me to, to one book to the left. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul wrote essentially the same thing, just using a different analogy. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds on this foundation of Jesus. This foundation of salvation. He says in verse 11, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. Verse 12, If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. You might want to underline that. His work will be shown for what it is. And here's the reason. Because the day, 
The day being the judgment day of Christ. The day will bring it to light. The day that you stand before Jesus will bring it to light. And it will be, what's that next word? It will be revealed, just what we've been talking about. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Isn't that interesting? Verse 14, if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. See, it's all about reward. It's not about punishment. It's not about God trying to get even with you. It's not about God trying to beat you down and saying, see, you messed up. That's not what this is about. The judgment seat of Christ is about God wanting to reward you. And, and that time, that day will reveal. And, and so it says, verse 14, if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. Verse 15, if it is burned up, in other words, if it was worthless stuff you gave your life to, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. You say, well, see, Pastor, that just kind of proves my point. So long as I get in, you know, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. So long as I get in, I'm going to be good. Best way I have thought and thought and thought about this. The best way I can describe it to you is this. When you say that, you, you listen, listen, listen. You've got an earthly perspective when you say that. When you say that, you've got a human perspective. But I have the feeling that the day that you stand before Jesus, the day that you stand before the one who died for your sins, the day that you see the nail prints in his hands and in his feet, the day that you recognize and realize in a way you've never recognized or realized before, you were bought with a price. The day when you stand before Jesus and it all sinks in, I think you're going to say, He deserved more. He deserved more. He did that for me. He deserved more. And I don't think you will dare say, I'm just glad I'm in. I'm just glad I made it by the skin of my teeth. I don't think you'll say that. I think you'll recognize how much Jesus loves you and how much Jesus has done for you. And I think the realization will be, regardless of what I've done or, or failed to do, regardless of, He deserves more. Think about it in these terms. If he died for you, shouldn't you live for him? He deserves more. You see, I don't even think it's about the reward. I mean, it's okay if you want to live and think, I just got to build up my reward. It's okay if you want to do that. I really don't even think it's about the reward. I think it's about, I want to please my Lord. I'll give you one final scripture. It's, it's just a chapter over. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the one we just read, he says, you'll answer for what you did. 1 Corinthians 3, you're going to answer for what you did. 1 Corinthians 4, he tells us, you're also going to answer for why you did it. It's amazing. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time, 
There is an appointed time out there. Remember that? There is an appointed day on God's calendar. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. And here's the reason. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness. It's going to be a time of revealing. He'll bring to light what's hidden in the darkness and will expose not your actions, but will expose the motives of men's hearts. And at that time, each will receive his, not punishment, but praise from God. He's going to expose not only your actions, he's going to pull back the curtain not just to look at your actions, but he's also going to pull back another curtain and look in your heart to determine your motives. Again, but it will not be so that he can punish you, it will be so that he can praise you. He wants to look at you one day and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And you know, there's going to be some folks. And they're going to say, well, Lord, I didn't do a whole lot, you know, because I just taught these little kids, and I never felt like I was making a difference. You know, I, I taught these three or four-year-olds, and, and God, I, you know, I did this, this, and this, and, but I never got on the platform. I was never in the lights. I, I, I didn't, nobody knows my name. I, I, I just, Lord, I just didn't do much, and It might just be those people who have been faithful to what God has given them to do will be the ones that are in the front of the line. And those big name guys or ladies, they may be back on down the line a little bit. See, I have the conviction some people have served God in that small place, what they call a small place, and in what they call small ways, and they're unknown, unsung, unhonored but they've been faithful to the Lord. And I want you to know something. What man overlooks, God notices. So my question is, what have you done and what are you doing with the salvation He made possible? Are you living a life worthy of the salvation He made possible? Let's pray. Father, I recognize that things will probably look different in the white light of eternity. Things that we hold on to, the things that we treasure, the things that we strive for, the titles we want to accomplish, uh, the, the, all those kind of things, just the things that are most important to us now likely won't be that important then. I pray that you'll help me, help us, help our church to live with the end in mind. To recognize that one day we will stand before Jesus. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When in rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Until that day comes, may we live a life worthy of the salvation He made possible. In Christ's name I pray.